0: Welcome to the Partnership Economy. This podcast explores the power of partnerships through candid conversations with industry leaders. Join our hosts, Dave Ivano, CEO, and Todd Crawford, co-founder of impact.com, as they unpack the future of partnerships as a lever for scale and an opportunity to put the consumer first.
1: Hello and welcome to the Partnership Economy Podcast. My name is Todd Crawford. I am your co-host and our episode guest today is Syra Nazir, Head of Digital Marketing at Autodesk. It's so great to have you. Thanks for coming on the show.
0: Thank you for having me, Todd. I'm excited to be here.
1: Yeah, yeah. We're excited to learn from you. Just to make sure everybody's clear in their mind who Autodesk is, what you guys sell, who your kind of typical customer is.
0: Autodesk is not a common name (laughs) among a lot of audiences. So, you know, to give you a sense of what we do, we basically produce engineering software across many different verticals. What might be most familiar to a lot of folks is buildings that are software designs, cars. If you're an engineer, you're very familiar with AutoCAD, and AutoCAD helps design you know, all of the cars that we drive. And then we also have a really exciting media and entertainment division. So if you've watched Frozen, Frozen was exclusively created with Autodesk software, all of the visual animations and, you know, special effects. So if there's any movie you've seen with all of that type of stuff in there, more likely than not, it's been done with Autodesk software.
1: That's cool. Like, you know, thinking about, it must be interesting because you know every, car you're driving and the movies you know where your software and the was in the background making all that happen It's amazing i think back to the old days in the 50s how cars were built you know it was draftsmen at tables yeah. and things like that you know <laughs> yeah fortunately yeah, autodesk
0: yeah. has automated all of that
1: <laughs> well yeah and i'm sure it just you know creates cost efficiencies too it's not just about design right it helps yeah. everybody understand how to the materials and things that are going to go into it. Well, that's cool. So what is your role and your team look like?
0: I am head of digital marketing. We are part of the digital media center, which is a centralized center of excellence, I would say, inside of Autodesk. And because there are so many stakeholders with budgets, we operate as that center of excellence. We take in those budgets, recommend media mix models, and we also execute against all of those campaigns, provide analytics, et cetera. So what you would see with a typical digital marketing company. Now Autodesk is really unique in that we are traditionally sort of a B2B company, but in the company, we have two different motions. We have, you know, motions that are very much like ABSM and lead generation. We also have motions where customers will put their credit card down and go through our cart very similar to a consumer experience. And because we have both motions, our digital marketing team has to be very nimble in the way that we create reach for the campaigns, return for the campaigns, engagement, et cetera. And you know, we are probably one of a handful of B2B companies that heavily uses affiliate marketing. And that's quite rare in the B2B space. Usually they depend on distributors and resellers and things like that. We have a very healthy affiliate program here at Autodesk.
1: Well, there's two things I heard that really excited me there, center of excellence and for the listeners that have listening to a lot of our podcasts here, it's starting to become a common theme where companies that have multiple business units, multiple geos, multiple product lines are kind of creating this overarching center of excellence that can look across and kind of use best practices leverage budget, things like that, spend with other companies so that they get the best bang for their buck and and create the data, most importantly, that the different stakeholders can use. And you guys know it's vetted and correct, and you can explain it and and help them make decisions. Seeing this happen more and more, I think you're probably the third or fourth company that I've talked to, probably the third on this podcast series, with a center of excellence, which, again, I just love it. I think it's exciting. When you came on board was, did that exist, or did it get created while you were there?
0: No, And that's the most interesting part. So before Autodesk, I worked for Symantec, and we were able to build our own e-commerce platform and, you know, really create a center of excellence there. That was one of the main reasons why I was recruited to Autodesk. Four years ago, when I was hired, they embarked on their sort of digital transformation. It was really important to the CEO and I quote in one of his all hands, he said, you know, want to be able to fix the roof when the sun is still shining. And he knew we are walking into a digital world and, you know, it will be everything, not just consumer, but B2B. And he was right. And he wanted to make sure we were setting up organizations, infrastructure, transparency, MarTech stacks, and all of the things that go along with that digital center of excellence to be able to to create a strong foundation for customers to go in and uh, make decisions themselves. Most customers don't need salespeople to walk them through. They're very active on the internet in gathering that information. And so that was where the digital transformation started. And a lot of the ideas that were incubated in the first year that I was at Autodesk are now a reality.
1: So I guess when you started, they had each product had its own business unit had its own yes. marketing team. So yeah. was there a lot of, you know, you got people, I mean, it's got to be a lot of friction, a lot of resistance to this consolidation essentially, right? Because you become more efficient with fewer people, right? I, guess, I think it's the end, end result there. So any, I guess, best practices or learnings you'd want to share from going through that? Because I know other companies that have gone through it or are thinking of going through it. You know, we, I talked with Foot Locker, Recently, and they own a lot of brands. You know, they went through that, so I'm always interested in when people go through a painful process and change internally. If you've got any anything you want to share around that,
0: no, Todd, that is such a great, great question. I'll tell you, when you go through anything, it could be a life changing experience. It could be personal, professional, anything. You have to have some kind of a vision of what's going to happen on that other side. And that is really part of sort of the core of change management, right? And mm-hmm. so that is what we had to show. We had to show the budget efficiencies. We had to be able to show the lift in the business that we would be able to project. We had to show that, you know, if we are really a customer first company, We have to be able to create synergies amongst our products, amongst our digital campaigns, amongst our strategies to be able to be customer first. And if all of the different business units are operating in a silo, you can never expect that the customer will have a consistent experience. It will always be fragmented. It will always be disjointed. And if we are, you know, customer first, then we do have to change the way we're organized. And I think when we spoke to the teams about that, I think they understood the larger vision. We were able to present projections on budget and cost savings, return projections as well. And a lot of those have come to fruition. So I think it's all about sort of showing that positive side of what that end state will look like to get more and more people on board, but continuing to sort of coach them through that journey along the way. This is like a four-year-long process for us. And Autodesk is a complex company. We have 150 products, several business units, many operate in silos. So to overcome a lot of that, we had to start with data. We had to merge that data together and say, hey, well, you know, your customer in XYZ business unit is actually looking at another product in ABC business unit. And so to show them how synergistic the products really are, I think was the first start really to get people more and more people on board.
1: I'm glad you went into the data because I was waiting for you to finish talking about the challenges. And I would say how how big of a challenge was data, because it seems like a lot of these companies have even have different vendors, different business units and products, you know, they have different vendors they've selected, they have different sources of data that they're relying on. And just getting a handle on that can just I can understand why it feels a four-year process.
0: Yeah. You know, I think what a lot of companies may not understand in embarking on Digital Transformation Initiatives is it's not just strategy, it's your MarTech stack, it's your infrastructure, it's how integrated and clean your data is. It's reorganizing the teams. A lot of the teams and the organizational structure within marketing or product marketing departments mirror the fragmentation our customers see on the internet. And in order to present a unified experience Many teams have to reorganize and merge themselves together to be able to merge that strategy. So all of those streams have to work in unison to get us to that point where we've completed digital transformation, at least for the moment, with things rapidly changing. I don't know if it's ever complete.
1: <laughs> I hear you. I know it's like, uh, are we done consolidating and changing and becoming the center of excellence? And then there's always something else that needs to get done and to move everything forward. So back to your opening remarks, I said there were two things that excited me. The second was that, that you were leveraging affiliate or partnerships in a B2B manner, which you're right. Historically, that has been a big challenge for B2B brands. I think they don't know where to start. And if you jump into an affiliate network, a lot of that they're dealing with retailers. And so it's a lot of coupon and loyalty sites and not as many B2B partnerships. So it's kind of like up to you to figure out what are those partnerships going to be? And I'm just curious, like even do you have segments, like these are the types of partnerships that you work with? Do they fall in like buckets or are they all kind of unique in themselves? How do you look at partnerships?
0: That's a great question. You know, a lot of the partnerships that we have in the affiliate network today are similar to the ones I worked with on the consumer side at Symantec. So lots of familiar faces for me in that realm. You know, affiliates are very agile. And I think that's probably like competitive advantage for that industry. They're very nimble. They can adjust to any business model as long as, you know, obviously it has a strong return for them. So there There are, you know, the traditional segments, you know, search affiliates and display affiliates. We may not have a lot of couponing affiliates because I don't think it really applies to engineering software. I think the good thing is the major categories that we see in consumer are the major categories that we see in B2B as well. For us, it's really about incubating and getting more affiliates to try our product to try to sell it in different areas. And for that, we do provide, at least in my career, I have provided incubation funding to affiliates to help them get started. You know, I found that they are the most agile. They're quick to sort of embrace that fail fast methodology and test to see what works. And it's only then that we're able to take those winning strategies and incorporate them into other corporate strategies like paid search or, you know, social or display or anything else we're doing on the corporate side. But we really look to them as an incubation vessel for us
1: probably was a lot of education that you had to do up front because your products are complex and unique in the space and, and you have so many it's not like you know we just do painting apps and and drawing apps right so it's definitely uniqueness and and probably unique buyers right like you know someone that does movies isn't going to get a uh cad design product right autocad <laughs> so how much education and what did you find work there or did you like send them pdfs or just rely on them to look at the website what were some of the things that you did to help them understand you know what your products are that you wanted them to promote and maybe like the target buyers
0: Well, our website is pretty comprehensive and I didn't even have to tell the affiliates. They were already all over the website and tried to learn as much as they can. And and that's really sort of the essence of the affiliate industry is they are really, really thirsty to learn and pivot and add in new business models and offerings and things like that to whatever they're doing. You know, I, I compare it to when I was at Symantec where our products were simple. It was antivirus software And we are learning more from the affiliate than the affiliate learning from us. And here it's a little bit different where we are not only telling them to go to our site and look at all of our products, but we're giving them persona information, targeting information, segmentation information to help them target their efforts a little bit better. And I think when you move over to B2B, it becomes much more complex. And the need for that deep persona information, targeting like company size and things like that becomes much more important. So affiliates tend to spend a lot more time learning from us And then pretty soon the tables turn and we start learning from them as they start experimenting in more sort of, you know, emerging digital mediums.
1: So there's other types of partnerships out there. And one that comes to mind that I think would be good for you guys are more ambassadors. Like I am an amateur photographer and my kind of camera brand is Fujifilm. And I know that all the camera makers have these ambassadors. I have an affinity to Fujifilm or Nikon. They shoot with it all the time, and they get maybe previews of products. They talk about the product, right? And, uh, and obviously, because they use it to make a living. Are you guys doing anything around ambassadors where they kind of are experts in the field, especially, right? Like, I'm sure AutoCAD is not something you just uh, watch one YouTube video and you're up. I mean, even Photoshop is not easy to learn, right? So, I, I can't even imagine something like AutoCAD or, or any of your other products, you know? So are you leveraging any any kind of ambassador program at all with your existing customers or users?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Actually, we have so many (laughs) tutorials on all of our products because our products, like you said, Todd, are very complex and all of the different features. There's so many features, best practices on how to use those features. It's all over YouTube. So tons and tons of tutorials. Now, last year, what's interesting is we did kick off an influencer program where we engage with influencers, specifically who use our products and can help guide other people that was a really great response. but as you know you know measuring an influencer program is very different than measuring you know search marketing campaign that goes direct to cart. So we had to come up with different measurement you know KPIs that helped the stakeholders inside of Autodesk understand what's good and what's not good in terms of views and how many people are viewing and sharing the videos and things like that. We also actually within Autodesk have hired an influencer. So one of our VPs, Amy Marks, was and is an influencer and she has a massive following. And so we've worked with her and actually brought her to Clubhouse. So we've had a couple of sessions on Clubhouse and, you know, it's through these influencers that that we're actually getting additional reach that we've never been able to get before and new followers that are engaging with our videos and engaging with our web properties at a much higher rate than what we're finding our campaigns, our traditional campaigns to like search or display or social are engaging.
1: Yeah. As I said, in photography, I don't use Photoshop. I actually use Capture One, which is kind of a newer competitor on the landscape here for photo editing. And they do a great job of producing their own content. And then of course you have your own other people that are producing that content. And to me, it's just so helpful learning new features or improving your workflows and even just things like best practices for labeling and naming photos. I mean, there's so many ways to do it and suddenly you have a hot mess. So I can imagine with your products, it's not just about using it, but actually kind of getting more efficient or using features that maybe you should be using and you've just been like ignoring them because it's extra work and you don't quite understand how to use it. So I would imagine producing that content yourself as well as leveraging ambassadors to carry that torch as well. It just really helps because, you know, there's this kind of third-party trust. Like I trust a person who actually makes their living using your product and they may have a different take on a feature or I bet you get a lot of good feature feedback to product improvements and even bugs, right? Like they, they point that out and you guys can and get that back to the product teams quickly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think the synergy is great. And you're right. I think customers tend to sort of gravitate towards people who are like real life people (laughs) and who use the products. And I mean, this is really sort of the core of the whole influencer industry that's popped up. I mean, from makeup to home renovations, to design, to anything, this peer-to-peer teaching has really impacted, you know, every single industry in in such a new and exciting way.
1: You had mentioned earlier that people can add to cart and I, I know your products aren't probably cheap, right? I mean, they're not super expensive, but they're not a, I mean, obviously it's usually a business buying it. It's not necessarily, I'm going to buy your product, right? For the most part, like I'm not going to go design skyscrapers, you know, for fun. I mean, some people probably do. But there's also, obviously, you, know, you said account-based marketing. You know that you have certain people you want to be your customer. And some of that is going through a sales channel. People aren't just going to add to cart. Or maybe they have unique needs or a number of licenses, things like that, right? Bigger. So with your partnerships, do you track their interaction outside of just the add to cart workflow? Do you see that they're driving inquiries for a demo or a sales contact? Are you you able to measure that as well?
0: We do measure that. And the way that we do that is, you know, any sort of leads that they're pushing our way. You know, the challenge always with any MarTech a stack is to connect it into all of the different touch points. So connecting it into, for example, Salesforce or anything else to understand, did this convert? And making sure that the tracking persists, that's always a challenge with anything. I mean, even at Symantec, when we had trials, it was always a challenge to track. 30 days after that person converted, were we able to give the affiliate credit? Oftentimes, tracking is fragmented, it breaks. And so we do have to come up with sort of hacks to be able to keep it persist, keep continuing throughout that 30-day period? I think that's a good question. You know, we are trying. I don't think that all of the systems are built to be able to connect it end-to-end today, but we're doing the best we can in working with affiliates to be able to get them into more of the human touch flows So they will be able to really push a lot of that business other than just the cart, which they do today.
1: Right. I can imagine, you know, there's just always a subset of, of, it's a high consideration product. You know, I think the people who add to cart, they probably are previous customers. They got a new job and they're just like, I need the software to do my job or, and it's easy to just get, you know, approval to buy it. I'm going to add to cart. I don't really need to be sold to, but, you know, obviously from a a new customer penetrating a, a business that you guys have targeted, or even expanding into a business is more of a sales process. So I want to pivot to some maybe rapid fire questions here that we we talked about going into this. So, you know, when you think of your job and everything you've got going on, what's top of mind right now? What are you really focused on?
0: That's a great question. There's two things I'm really focused on. It's customer journeys and all of the different pieces of, or the companies that are offering software to curate and orchestrate those customer journeys. And the cookie-less future. I'm sure the cookie-less future is probably front and center ahead of customer journeys. For a lot of marketers out there, things are changing very rapidly. Google introduced one iteration or solution, then they scrapped it, went back and reimagined it. It's May. Pretty soon, we're going to quickly approach next calendar year when cookies are slated to go away. I think, you know, it's really still unclear what the right solutions will be. And each company has their own solutions. So that is actually going to be another MarTech opportunity on how marketers who are using multiple vendors can sort of integrate all of those different fragmented efforts together for one view. So yeah, those two things are very top of mind.
1: Yeah. And you're not alone. I know everybody's thinking through these things because, you know, like you said, it's uh. Google keeps postponing it Apple doesn't seem to be waiting for anyone definitely is kind of also making things uneven right because certain browsers or operating systems you don't have the visibility others you still do but for how much longer that's definitely it's almost sounds like it's what's keeping you up at night I don't know if you have anything else in the next question is there anything else keeping you up at night besides the cookie-less future that we're headed to
0: yeah I think that's a major one (laughs)
1: I agree. I agree. So are there any other industry dynamics that have your attention right now, even outside of partnerships or anything that you're kind of looking at and and thinking about?
0: Yeah. You know, Todd, we've recently experimented with connected TV and digital out of home, and we've paired it with geofencing on the display side. And we've actually found that we've been able to expand our reach significantly that we would never be able to get with not using those channels or using, let's say, just display on its own and really experimenting with those emerging mediums and finding the right spot for them. How can they generate awareness that actually lifts all boats for all of the sort of bottom of funnel converting tactics that we have that actually holds a lot of promise for us. We are actively looking at retesting a lot of our initial pilots that we did a quarter Ago and trying to bring it into our standard media mix that we curate for any of the different industries we deal with.
1: Wow, that's exciting. I love hearing that kind of approach because I think a lot of companies stay away from that because it seems harder to measure or it's expensive, or you know, even just getting the sign up or budget internally. It sounds like obviously with the start of this of your journey at Autodesk with the CEO kind of saying, I want this center of excellence. I want this consolidation. We need to kind of get with the digital program here that that's really helped pave the road, at least for a lot of the stuff that you guys have been doing, you know, that, I guess, executive buy-in or uh, I guess mandate, (laughs) however you want to (laughs) look look at it. I mean, has that really been helped with driving all of these initiatives forward for you guys?
0: It has. And I'll be really honest. I love working at Autodesk. And one of the biggest reasons I love working at Autodesk is executive leadership is really visionary. All of the bets that Andrew, our CEO, has placed have been so well thought out and they've actually come to fruition and they're like three to five year trends. And he's placing bets today that those will be the biggest and best opportunities. And he's been right. It's been amazing to watch him lead the company. And he has been Along with his extended leadership team, the C-suite have all been tremendous supporters of us going digital in terms of you know creating all of the right infrastructure, the resourcing, the organization to support all of that. So I mean, without C-suite leadership and C-suite, I would say, you know, encouragement or mandates, so however which way you want to put it, you know, the change management becomes really hard. You know, you definitely need yeah, to have that executive. C-suite sponsorship to be able to really make the heavy changes that's required in digital transformation.
1: Well, Sarah, this has been really, really informative. I said I'm very passionate about uh, B2B in general, but this center of excellence movement that seems to be happening across the global marketing teams out there, which is exciting. I think there's a lot of trepidation going through that process. But I think I've always heard the outcomes have been great. So this is another great success story. Congratulations. And before we leave, I just really wanted to hear if there's been anyone that's been a mentor or inspiration in your career that you'd want to mention. I'm always interested in hearing that.
0: Yeah, no, that is so good. I do. My mind sort of goes back to the time that I spent at Symantec and Lenny Lucas, who was the VP of e-commerce at that time and spearheaded the entire project of building our own e-commerce platform in-house and uh, really creating that excellence within Symantec. I have learned so much from his leadership, from the way that he handled the entire project. And, you know, I continue to be in touch with him on any of the things that, the turns that are in my career, consulting with him on things like that. But he really stands out as one of the best ones I've had.
1: Yeah. It sounds like you went through something similar that he did, right? I mean, that's not an easy change to make internally. I remember when Semantic was going through all that as well. I was working at the company that you guys were using at the time for your e-commerce. So I remember when that, that whole change was happening and that was a big deal. So yeah, that's exciting. Well, I just really appreciate you coming on and sharing all of your experiences and advice. Yeah. Look forward to checking in and seeing how things are going moving forward here in a few Absolutely. months and years
0: yeah yeah absolutely Todd it was such a pleasure chatting with you you know really look forward to connecting with you again thank you so much for having me